Hi, my name is Dr. Kavan Sanger. I'm a practicing doctor of clinical psychology and I also have a PhD in neuroscience. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an actor. That's it. We're also a couple. And during the pandemic, we've spent far too long in each other's company, having interdisciplinary discussions and watching films. And like many couples stuck in an echo chamber, we've developed illusions of grandeur that our opinions are one, valid, and two, interesting to other people. (laughs) So we've decided to make them public, looking at films and their main protagonists through the lens of a psychologist and an actor. What motivates and drives their actions? What's film intending speak louder than words? And what things just really don't make that much sense? In our opinion, anyway. We'll leave that for you to decide. So, we're at... Episode 8. The final. It's It's been an emotional journey, darling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've been through a lot of frustration with you... But, you know, also love and adoration. Aww. That's what's written down, right? I did pronounce that right. You you did adoration. Adoration. Yeah, that's the word. It's not how it's written. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote it down as a marriage proposal, so you still did it wrong. Wow. Wow. That's that's nice. Uh, (laughs) Moving so swiftly on. (laughs) I'm not going to do it. Not not what we're recording. That, That would be weird. We're we're not that hip, I don't think, as a as a woke couple. <laughs> I think I think we're fairly woke. We mostly just eat avocados. I think that's where most of it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it. We actually saw my nan the other day, didn't we? We were telling <laughs> telling her the joys of eating avocados. Oh yeah, we were. I'm not sure she's convinced. Yeah, uh, I told her that I was gluten and dairy free, and she went, "Well, you're not perfect, then, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there was a lovely compliment in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, I'd definitely take it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking it as a win that, you know, things are moving forward. At least in the UK. I'm sorry if this is a brag. I am actually really sorry. But it, it was lovely being able to see my nan and actually got to introduce you to her. We've not been able to do that. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, been together two and a half years. Met my nan now. Is that that long? It's felt much longer in lockdown. <laughs> Really, <laughs> it's felt so long. I mean, that, I, of course, it, it's been absolutely lovely. It's just also felt so long. Yeah, but hopefully, um, in the same way as it's been a bit of a distraction and fun throughout this pandemic for us to to research these films and and put this podcast together. Give I us would... a, give us a bit of a project. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been good, you know, a bit more than the um, Pepe Mache volcanoes. Those were fun. We did two. <laughs> Not three. Probably should have. You should have done three. Yeah, three lockdowns should have been three volcanoes. <laughs> that might have been a, a bit too much. Well, we, we made a podcast in the third one. So. Yeah, so not so bad. Something productive did come from it. Yeah, but we hope that it's been an entertaining distraction for you guys as well. Yeah. Um, we've really enjoyed sharing some thoughts with you and we will be back for series two. Very excited about some potential ideas, maybe some guest stars. Whoa. From the world of psychology and the world of acting. What would you say? The, the world of performing arts? World of performance. You're just too cool, aren't you? Yeah, I don't know. Just take the word arts out of it. 
<laughs> Just shorten it. But yeah, some other people who have areas of expertise that that, that we, we don't. don't. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Finish each other's sentences now. Good God. It's been a long old <laughs> COVID world. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, here we are. Here we are. And I hope you will enjoy this episode. And at the end, we will also give you some information about how you can keep the conversation going with us if you'd like to. We'd yeah. love to hear from you. Yeah, if we've not been too annoying. We might have been. I mean, you have the option to turn off. <laughs> We're not forcing you to, to stay there. <laughs> Unless you are our friends, in which case you have to. Yeah, yeah, because we can see on our... Oh, we can see on our map exactly where people are who listened. That's true. That's creepy. Meh. But that has been quite exciting. Yeah. We've, we're, we're moving from the east to the west coast of the United States. That's really cool. Yeah. Via Kansas and all the way across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Where else, where else are we now? Where are you excited about? Belgium. Yes, Belgium. Because you go to Leuven every year, every January, we'll see you there. Belgiumite. Do you want to give out a shout out to your mates that you go to Leuven with? No. <laughs> <laughs> they never listen. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, because we know we know they never listen. Because <laughs> they're yeah. in Spain. Yeah. And and there's no well there's there's a great person in Madrid <laughs> who listens. Singular. Thanks. Per gracias. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! You speak fluent Spanish. Maybe we should do an episode in Spanish. Maybe no. that would help. No. It would help me. It would not help you at all. Oh, yeah. So, oh, well, that would be lovely. I get a whole whole hour of me just chatting, chatting out of people. Yeah. And they can't tell me to shut up either. Yeah, because yes. that's mostly my job. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> so the episode today is on the film Split, which has had some interesting reviews. Weren't all positive, but... I think, for me, I'm going to focus on the acting of it, mostly, mm-hmm. because, obviously, McAvoy gives an incredible performance. I think it's really top-notch. Really top-notch. So that's what I'm going to talk about, mostly. What are you going to talk about? I am going to talk about the interesting kind of dynamic of the alters within his character, kind of doing a little bit of a mini-formulation on the different groups of alters, really. Um, and then also, yeah, a bit of a, a discussion about disassociative identity disorder generally. I, I think from a layman perspective, I think it's one of those interesting conditions um, because it, it does feel so much more out of the norm, I guess. And I'd be curious to kind of hear like your expectations of, or how you kind of interpreted the way it was portrayed in this film. I'd be really interested to hear that and maybe then be able to maybe counter some of it from um, from a mental health professional point of view. And then I'm definitely going to rant about what what on earth happened with the therapist right at the end. That That's mostly, mostly me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably... I, I do have a little bit about that, that I wanted to mention, but I think that's just going to lead quite nicely into yours. Brilliant. Great. Brilliant. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, also, shout out to Anthony Riley and Lee Jagger 
for correctly guessing the film based on a very obscure photo of us watching it eating popcorn. So nice one, guys. Good work. Yeah. So some of the issues that we will be talking about today in relation to the film Split that some people might find difficult include child abuse in its various guises, the impact of trauma, self-harm, violence and murder, and also a discussion of the distrust and confusion about what mental illness is and the way that society sees those who do struggle with their mental health. I hope it will be an interesting discussion that we have today, but you will know yourself best. Choose whether this is going to be interesting for you, or if you would prefer to go back, listen to other episodes, or join us on Series 2. So take care, guys, and see you soon. Okay, hit me. Go. No, I will not. Well, you know what I mean. (laughs) Go for it. So I I think... When we're talking about this film, like it covers DID or dissociative identity disorder, or or MPD, which is multiple personality disorder. But I saw a a really interesting YouTube clip of somebody who was suffering with this disorder, this condition. Condition, yeah. Um, and they said that it's MPD or DID is an act of love for oneself, which I think is really refreshing and a really different way of looking at it because mm. I think when you think of films you think of Hollywood it, it's almost always portrayed in a negative light and this film obviously yes it's part of the story but I think it's also something to keep in mind that it's not always necessarily a, a bad thing you know a lot of these people have gone through hor- horrific things mm. but that is why the, 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 that's the history behind it that's why they've manufactured these these uh, identities, these personalities, mm-hmm. is is a, through an act of love for oneself, which I thought was really refreshing. That's a really beautiful way of explaining and understanding it. Mm. You know, it was it was from somebody that suffers with it. Mm. How do you feel about your use of the word "suffers" then? Not as good as I did when I said it. <laughs> I think I use the word "suffer" because it's just a that's how it's referred to as. Mm. You suffer with an illness. Mm. You suffer with a disorder. It's not a never positive thing. Mm. But I think it's the act of the emergence of this trait in people is is a positive thing mm. for them individually and for their mind and for their body. But I think it is. It's also tragic that it happens and it occurs and that it almost has to occur. Yeah, it shouldn't have to have happened, no. but. It is a way of surviving and I guess, yeah, that's a communication of love for yourself that you deserve to survive. Mm. And here is how we can do that. Yeah, it's almost an inner knowing of how much you're worth which drives that change in you. It's beautiful. Mm. So I just thought that was an interesting thing to to think about when we look at these superheroes or supervillains when you're looking on film. Um, obviously, as an actor, I you have to approach a character. Everything is real about the person. You you know you are aware that it's part of entertainment. That's what you're doing. You're creating entertainment. But also, in order for it to appear realistic, you have to approach it as a real person mm. going through these very real situations. Mm-hmm. But I think if we look at it as well, like I saw a quote as well that said that 
every superhero and every supervillain should probably be treated by a professional. (laughs) (laughs) In order for you to put yourself in these situations, why why would you do that? Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, the the trauma that they have been through, the (laughs) horrific things that they've seen or done... I can't remember if I've talked about moral injury before. I think I have. Yeah, but I you so. think about the the kinds of moral injury that some of the heroes or villains have probably enacted. Yeah, I guess that's also why we like anti-heroes so much, because maybe that's more relatable. So idea that, like, yeah, they've been through a lot and they're struggling with it. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to... Uh, but there, there seems to be a, a big sort of change in trend towards the anti-hero. Mm. Well, there was a couple of years ago, certainly. Would you... How, ooh, okay. How would you see the main character then in, in Split? Would you say that he is a villain? Would you say he's an anti-hero? He's portrayed as a villain. Mm. He is portrayed as a villain because the first time you see him, he is kidnapping people. Yeah. From the very off, you're, you're set out with this, right? This is the bad guy. Of course, he's a bad guy, but actually... This bad guy changes to a good woman, and then a good child, and then each individual. Ooh, a good woman. Well, is how they see themselves. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see her that way, but cool. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, hmm, okay, right. Ooh. This is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a, a, like different ways of of looking at it. Mm. I think. I just wondered, like, through the arc of the film, do you change your viewpoint? You definitely feel sorry for him. Mm. Especially at the end when he's like, spoiler alert, when he's like, just kill me. Go go and get my, my shotgun and my my shotgun pellets and just shoot me. Yeah. When he was Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. towards the end. Just after she's called his name, Kim Wendell Crumb, mm-hmm. to, in order to get him to change. Mm. Um, in order to save herself. Uh, which, if you hadn't, then... Uh, yeah, would have been a challenge, mm. I thought. But yeah, I do I do really feel for him in that moment. Yeah. Um, and you see me, the way he holds himself as well, he's he's weaker than, than you've seen him previously, especially when you go from the beast, mm. who's this big, broad, he's a defender, you know, or he's the defending part of Kevin's mind, mm. to this shrunken individual. This man who was an abused child. Yeah. How, I don't know if this is going to be a big thing you talk about, but come on, the body language, the way he embodies these different um, alters throughout the film, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's outrageous. Mm. Like, as well, because it's not just, right, you see one character and then you've got a cut and you've got another character. You see two, maybe three characters in one go, mm. like in one take. Mm. And to go from from one character who's, very defensive and very frustrated to another completely different character as he does when he sat um, at the psychologist's mm-hmm. in a house, which is a weird thing to do. Um, mm, I was going to talk yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just becomes... It, it's so impressive. The number of things that you have to think about and, and change in those moments. The fact that um, as an audience member, I think you get to know the different alters as the film goes on. And you start being able to pick up on the fact that the body language changes, the different mannerisms change. It's like, oh, okay, he's this one right now. 
you start being able to pick up on that. And McAvoy in an interview said about how how that was what he wanted. Like obviously initially you wouldn't be able to tell, but then as the film progresses, he, he was like, I wanted people to be able to see that juxtaposition, that that battle inside. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's no more prevalent than when he sat at the psychologist, and you see the battle of Dennis not wanting to give give way to Barry. Mm. And the, and the, Barry Dennis, which one is it? And you see. It gives it away with his blinking, and I mentioned blinking before. Yeah. I think it was in a in a an early episode that we did of how big an impact that can have. Yeah. And it's the processing, and I think that you have a um, therapy, is it? Ah, yeah. So one one sort of mode or therapeutic technique. Yeah. That yeah. you that uses blinking. So, yeah, EMDR. It stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing right yeah so it, it's like it shows that somebody's going through something and you're processing something mm. most importantly mm. with that mm. um i think it's it shows his processing and his the inner battle that's going on between his identity that he's has the light in that moment which is referred to as mm-hmm. and another one which is trying to come up mm. um, which i really really enjoy I also love how incredibly meta that bit is when you've got one alter who is trying to pretend to be another alter. There are so many levels and complexities around the identity of this one body. Mm. Amazing. I mean, in order to just even even approach that, you have to take into account there's the physical, the vocal and internal attributes all at the same time. I mean, it even comes down to the breathing tempo mm. and the speed of thinking. And it's to that degree that he has to portray mm. in those moments, which is just outrageous because they're not, they're not shot from a wide angle. They're like, you, you can't hide behind anything there. It's all focused on him. And the camera doesn't move in those moments because it's all about his performance. And it is very, very impressive because he plays nine characters in the film. Mm. He was like the first four... They, they they just came like he just he just went yeah I want to do it like with 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 feminine feminine qualities and therefore I will play like this and Hedwig mm. like yeah I take this from he said at the time he had like a seven year old I think it's around seven year old and um, who has lots of friends obviously um, and he was like well I take that attribute from that kid that one from that one give him one a lisp like um, yeah and so those were easy he said but then. He had the other five, and he was like, crumbs. Um, <laughs> crumbs? Ah! Um, <laughs> oh, God, I've been locked inside too long. Oh, we um, have. <laughs> um, those characters he had to, had to work on a lot more, and he was saying like he had to... It was basically just a, a, lot, of, a lot of time spent in front of the mirror, mm. which is quite nice. Mm. Just finding what physicalities work. Mm. for each character but I mean even it depends also like you see the I mentioned it again the season with the psychologist he changes the angle of the angle he is to the camera from side like not quite side on like 45 degrees to the camera to then straight on to be Dennis from Barry to Dennis and it is mm. imposing and sits back and you know immediately you're like oh some something's gone down here that's a really nice point because that that sort of forty five degrees. It's it, that's the kind of when I when I was sort of first learning my craft, I guess as a therapist, we would role play a lot, 
and it was always encouraged to think about the way that you sit in the chair and this idea of you know turning slightly to an angle because it can be really intimidating when you have someone who just sits there in front of you locks eyes with you and their complete body is just pointed towards you at you whereas there is that kind of like soft invitation to be with someone if you're slightly to one side it's sort of I'm not ignoring you but I'm also there's no pressure on you and that's Mm. yeah you can see that between those two characters Dennis is so intense whereas Barry is definitely more personable well Barry also is is a defender Mm. in a way he's there to deflect rather than all out attack that's true hadn't thought about that yes Mm -hmm. and Barry is more in touch with his feminine sides, with the drawing and, and, and all those different things as well. Mm. So he is he is softer, mm. definitely to Dennis, mm-hmm. um, in many ways. Mm. Which of the alters would you find most fun to play or most difficult? Hedwig. Hedwig would be great. <laughs> It'd be great to play because you just, you, you just play. Yeah. I think is the thing. With that. How amazing was his dancing? Sorry. I loved that. The man can move. He can. Kevin Wendell Crumb for the win. Yeah. <laughs> dancing was amazing. Um, and I think the most challenging... I, I think... For me right now, would be different from me at, at university as well. Mm. Uh, as well. I think you, there are different attributes that you have as a person... And different things that you look on, and and different ways of seeing the world. I think, I think a couple of years ago, I'd have found it very easy to play Barry, but I think I'd, I'd, I'd find it challenging now. Hmm. Whereas I think, I think the hardest one obviously is, I think Dennis, because he's not just he's not just all out like, like crazy, like like the beast. Mm. No, don't just play crazy. Mm. Play. I think I think it'd be really interesting to do, defensive but also, still trying to, uphold some sort of social norm. Mm. I think Dennis is an interesting one. I think he's got a lot of inner demons that he reigns back, but he's only got a very, sort of questionable leash on them. That's why he has. I've forgotten her name now. The the female altar. She. To, it sort of feels to me that she is there to keep a rein on Dennis. And that's what she does. You've got Dennis who came into the light quite early mm. on as a coping strategy for keeping his for keeping Kevin's mother appeased. Mm. But then also, Kevin is sort of uh, also a product of abuse from an early age as well. Because if he, I think it was, it was very young when when Dennis became part of Kevin. And then you've got, he has some difficulties. He he likes women to to dance in their underwear for him, was yeah. it? Yeah, And I think he knows that that's wrong, but he doesn't, he finds it very difficult to, to not be drawn into those urges, whereas he's kind of got this strong matriarchal figure, but more of a defender for Kevin than his mother was. It's almost like she's there to keep a rein on that. I think Dennis is a... He's got his own inner demons and inner battles, which, again, so many meta layers within this one body. 
There's so many things to, to consider when you're playing. And McElvoy shows that so well. Yeah, he's outrageous in this film. Like, I think there are there are other parts of the film which aren't quite as, as good, but McAvoy's performance is mm. incredible. Because mm. I think in some ways it's also really understated, which is what makes it good. Yeah, because there's no character, apart from the Beast, obviously, which just goes, rah, in your face, like, mm. you, you know you know what you're going to get almost. Mm. But even the Beast, he talks. He's got a rational mind. Yeah, very true. I'm not sure it's necessarily rational, but... Well, okay, no, okay. But there's there's a logical st- string of reasoning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because then at the end, when he... Again, spoiler alert. When he sees the, uh, the scars, mm. and that's justified in his head that she's suffered, therefore she is pure. pure. Yeah, she's experienced pain. Which, yeah, is, a, is an interesting, interesting way of seeing the world. Hmm... <laughs> well, do you remember my rant at the time when we were watching this? No. Oh, okay. I'm I'm going to be giving a, a a more calm, thought out reflection on my okay. initial quite sweary rant. Good. <laughs> I I think just a couple of things before before handover. Were you aware of how long McAvoy had to prepare? These characters, he was like last minute. What? Like properly last minute. Like it was just, I think it was within a, a month or two. Behave, actually. Yeah, yeah. Just like, oh yeah, I'd like you to do this film. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, when do we start filming? <laughs> was, you... he, was he like a last minute change or something? Yeah, I can't remember who um, who was who, who was cast as. Uh, but yeah, he dropped out, so... Whoa. Yeah, so not having a lot of time makes life very difficult for an actor. But also, like, when you're able to find four of those characters very quickly, I think it definitely helps. Definitely helps. But to be able to, to put it together at the last minute and show nine different characters mm. in one film, I think is, is super impressive. Did he have to do much in terms of physical conditioning for this film, though? Because the Beast is such a, a a large character. Or is that done with lots of very clever camera work? Yeah, you just look at his muscles, weren't you? Obviously. <laughs> He's a beautiful man and great at what he does. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, I think there was a lot of gym work. I, I don't know specifically. But, I mean, obviously, he, worked, he had to work for that. Mm. Because you don't get a body like that overnight. I've been going to the gym for, well, however long it's been since we've been able to go five times a week. And... Um, yeah, I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, body type's got to come into it as well. A, a bit. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But it is super impressive. And as well, he he was in uh, the final episode of, of the Unbreakable series, Glass. Mm. And in that, he is absolutely massive. I mean, obviously, he's gone, oh, shit, right, okay, well. Got to, <laughs> got to top the last one, right, okay. But he's enormous in that. Super impressive. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I just enjoyed watching it. I was like, oh my God. It's outrageous. <laughs> Taking health and nutrition notes. Yeah. <laughs> Giant. <laughs> just a little bit on, on the writing and directing before going on to the psychologist and letting you take it away from that point. Mm-hmm. Something that McAvoy said about 
the writing, and it was written by M. Night. Shmillamillin. Uh, M. M. Night. I'm just going to call him M. Night. M. Night Shmillamillin. That is his full name. <laughs> I, I do know that's not how you say it, but it's just way more fun. Yeah, I mean, like, I see, it was The Simpsons that said it years ago, and then everyone just goes, yeah, it's just Shmillamillin. Yeah. yeah. So I just go with M. Night. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you know him. M. Night. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> McElroy was saying about how the story is is the thing in every every film that he he does, and if you if you aren't sure of exactly what you should be doing, the script is is failing you, and it should always support you as a as a performer and a director and and everything. The whole way through, if it's a good script, it's very easy to see not so good scripts. You know, um, in the last, I know, month, I've read a few that have not been very good. Um, <laughs> That's true. I've had to read with you. <laughs> yeah, they've been um, interesting, to say the least. Uh, but yeah, you're not completely sure of of what should be happening in each moment. It's having those really crucial parts of the script that are. That evident for you as a performer to inhabit, which he was praising the director and the writer up high. But one thing that I did like about the direction is the super long pauses mm. they did throughout the film. There's so many just shots where it just stays on the face, or where there's a slow zoom, creeping zoom, if you like. Like, and you can see it when Hedwig first mentions the beast and that he's coming for them. And when Hedwig's initially there, then he's He's talking about his socks. Hmm. And then it's a slow zoom and you're like, oh, it's fine. It's not not really, you know, you're just zooming in on the character to see the face and things like that. But the camera continues to, to creep closer. And then you see him thinking and then all of a sudden then he says about the beast is coming for you and you're not going to like what he does to it. And you're like, all of a sudden that, that creep takes on a whole new emotion meaning behind it. I think moments like that are really clever. And when you have those big, long shots on, on faces, they just stay there for ages. It's, it's an absolute gift as a, as a performer because it means you can play with and portray your character with so much more depth mm. in those moments. And you have to be really on the ball. Mm. If you're not, then you just show yourself up to be a bit of a muppet, really. Because the camera is, is there to catch you. And it's there to show you up as well, mm. if you're not prepared. Mm. And I think the main two actors in this, really, because Anna Taylor-Joy, I think, was, was actually really good as well. Yeah. I think they both do themselves real credit. Mm-hmm. Real credit. Mm-hmm. Now. Now. I'll get on to a little bit about the psychologist. But I think, actually, you know what, I'm not going to. Really? Yeah, because I think a lot of what I say... <laughs> you're just gonna it's gonna be in your rant <laughs> well do you want me to start on my rant and then you can add go for it as and when yes okay cool she starts off as such a competent wonderful therapist and I was nodding away with all of these things that she was talking about kind of looking at the 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 resilience and the creative ways that people survive awful situations and she works with these people as individuals and she has that unconditional positive regard for her 
clients that you absolutely need because especially when you're working with people with trauma they've often not had that they've not had that secure base in their life Mm -hmm. where they can really show their vulnerability and know that they won't be rejected for it that's what often a lot of therapy is about so so yeah full disclosure and you'll probably figure it out also by going that's not is that even the same people (laughs) it is is the same people our energy levels might be slightly different depleted Um, (laughs) as this is almost a week later as as we had some technical issues which meant that all of our timings were out and we recorded probably the best episode of the series. Don't, don't say that, because if you say that and then they, they're like, no, it wasn't very good. Well, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I can praise up the bits that didn't record in the end as much as I like. Fair. Cool. Because they'll never know. <laughs> but honestly, I think that was the best recording we've ever done. Yeah. It's um, a shame. Yeah, but the memory card was full and um, apparently it stopped recording like 20 minutes and uh, we just carried on going. So I'm very sorry about this. I'm not. It's really, really shitty for us. <laughs> but, but you know, we'll we'll carry on and yeah. see if you can guess where the break was. <laughs> I mean, right before this, I thought. Well, it depends. I wasn't sure how you were going to edit it, darling. <laughs> yeah, <it's> true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, take two, episode eight, split. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I started having a bit of a rant about the therapist in this film and how she starts off working in a a very accepting way with her clients as individuals, even though DID can be seen as one of those mental health disorders that people feel a little more uncomfortable with. Maybe it's seen as a little more out there. Um, It is one of the rarer ones. But she starts off very, very competent and she, you know, works with the individual. She builds this safe, accepting space for them, which is what you do need to do when working with trauma. And that's that's what DID is. It's a coping mechanism for trauma. You disassociate. You almost It's this idea of almost an out-of-body experience during a traumatic event so that you don't have to physically, emotionally, mentally, cognitively experience the complete thing alone knowing that no one is there to help you 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 step away from that experience and in did what happens is that whilst disassociating you almost do then um because the brain is an incredible thing it creates the hero that you needed it creates that caregiver that was not there for you. The defender, mm. the organiser, yeah. Mm-hmm. All these different traits. Is it of a person or are they, they're completely separate? I guess it's not my area of expertise. Okay. I, I've done a lot of reading for this episode. Um, it's not something that I've, I've particularly worked with. So I wouldn't say that I'm a hugely competent therapist to have a hugely expert position on it, but it is something that's part of my training is how to work with these people. But I would probably talk with the individual about how they want to see it. We talk about alters, so they are they are separate identities. Fair. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
but they you know they they they've come from the same hole they come from the same body the same home and they've had similar experiences some of them will have been present some of them won't have been for certain parts of that whole person's life but they will have similar experiences and they're all motivated to help the survival of the whole yeah but it's interesting so for for a full diagnosis of DID there needs to be distress and i think that's actually quite an interesting point before I kind of go off into anything else. But yeah, so if all of the alters live in harmony, it's actually called something else. It's called healthy multiplicity. So you can have almost a commune within that person, you know, and they're all, they all probably fill certain niches and help out at different times. Whereas it's the distress that means that, you know, you need to seek help to to help manage and negotiate all of these different parts of you it might be that you know when you're experiencing stress again your body disassociates or you switch alters and sometimes that's probably really inconvenient um so you know how how do you come to a kind of healthy multiplicity would be one of the ways that a therapist might help to work with someone and that's very much how she kind of starts her work she's not trying to deny the alters she's not trying to tie everyone into one solid identity it's how can people share the light that's kind of the phrase that she uses or which is the altar who is going to hold the light most often for the benefit of all but then you know share it out when needed Mm. but she goes from this yeah really competent therapist at the beginning and then by the end She's essentially... She's a nightmare. Oh, she's a... Oh, my gosh. She She's like every sort of classic, useless teen girl in a slasher film. <laughs> I was I was sat watching that scene where she's she's gone to his house. She's in a basement with no windows. And she's gone down this labyrinth of corridors. <laughs> you know, there's been so many red flags here. And she still... She goes there on her own. She sits at the table, way away from the door. He's in front of the door. It's good that she has that confidence in him, but also... It was naive. Yeah, and also, if you knew you were being filmed, like, you know something's going to go down, don't you? (laughs) I know, how dare she not know she's in a film? It was just infuriating. And I, I remember actually stopping the film and ranting to you about this at the time. So when you work as a therapist, there is always a lone working policy that you adhere to. It's how we keep ourselves safe. It's how we keep our clients safe. If you're going to have someone in your home, which for me, that's, I wouldn't want to work with that. I know that different, different therapists work in different models in different countries. I think it's a bit different. Um, I think to an extent where we have the, the NHS in the UK, for example, I think we're so used to working in particular hospitals or clinic settings. Yeah. You oh. therapise me. I therapise you. Yes, you do. I, well, yeah, thank you. I think. I'm not sure. Depends. Some, sometimes I feel good after the session. Sometimes I feel really shitty. <laughs> well, you know, therapy is not actually about making you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it should do. Uh, Freud, Freud would argue that therapy is just there to bring a better awareness to you as a whole person. It's, it's knowledge for its own sake. It's not about making you happy or even thriving differently. It's, it's just about insight. But often it's very painful before it then becomes maybe something that leads you to a more contented life. So I'm not going to apologise that I don't always make you feel better. But also I try not to analyse you too much at home because that's annoying. She doesn't. She doesn't at all. 
every moment I'm on tender hooks. <laughs> this is my way out. <laughs> <laughs> if there's anybody there, what's up, mate? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, back to the point. <laughs> Sorry. For me, I like having a clinic space. It kind of it keeps those boundaries set. It's not my my stronghold that someone has to come into and also it means that we can co-create a safe space and we both get to leave that at the end of the day mm. um, it's better all, all around I, I, I think I think so I think it's been interesting enough working from home over the last year and a bit over the lockdowns here I had a particular chair that I sat in at our dining room table mm. I never sit in that chair at any other time Ever. No, for lunches, like lunchtime when I take home about, then you'd move chairs. Yeah. Just yeah. just for lunch. Yeah, yeah. I needed a different view, needed a different chair. If we didn't, you know, only have four chairs, when I started going out to work again, I would have probably burned that one. I would have just got rid of it. What? Yeah. But, you know, we need the furniture. Yeah. <laughs> As it is, we got that from Facebook Marketplace for about £10. Yeah. It was a bargain. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, if you're going to be going out to see people, or they're going to be coming to see you and you're on your own, there's a loan working policy. So someone else should always know your calendar. They should know when people should be coming in and out. And they should know when you should be finishing so that you can let them know because... Otherwise, anything could happen, and that's risky for both of you. Hmm. It's not just about protecting you from, oh, I don't know, dangerous people with mental health issues. It's also about protecting them. It's about respecting everyone's boundaries. It's making sure you don't massively go over on session time a lot. Is that necessarily a bad thing, if you did? Or is it just the expectation of, well, we went over last time, so why, why would we not go over again? Well, that's the danger that you get into. Right. Yeah, I often, I'm, I'm just not very good at timekeeping. I do often go over on assessment sessions, so the first time you meet someone, because you're trying to get to know each other, and there's a lot of questions. But apart from that, I try very much to respect the time that we've agreed, because, again, it's about building these safe space boundaries. If you know that you've got 50 minutes or an hour, or however long you've agreed between the two of you, keep to that, because mm. that's what keeps you all feeling safe structured contained because you open up about stuff and you want to know how long am i going to be opening up and then how long before i can kind of close softly close that lid again and go about my day and it's keep into that and also it then sort of shows that you really respect the time you have with this person because then you're also going to respect the space and time that you've got for the next person as opposed to running over all the time right yeah Um, sort of Harmony for you and for them as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, basically, don't go chasing them to the basement. No. When you're just a poor little old lady on your own, because that is never, ever, ever going to turn out well. Even when, even when there isn't a camera there, but when you know you're being filmed, mm. well, that's even worse. She essentially, by the end of that film, grabbed the banana instead of the knife, and ran upstairs instead of out the front door. That's basically what she did. But it, it it felt like it was coming from a place of kindness and compassion, or at least on the surface. But underneath that, it comes from a huge place of arrogance on her part. She felt that she was in control of that situation, and she wasn't. But was it that, or was it that she wanted to 
prove something and therefore she needed to push his buttons a bit more in order to get to the eventual point where she could say to everyone that she was on the conference call with, look, here is my evidence. I don't think it was. I think she was really worried about his safety. And also she didn't believe that there was this 24th identity. She did not believe that is true. Yeah. in the beast at all. But I don't know why she wouldn't. I mean, she's met all the 23. Why would he be lying about that? Yeah. And also, you know, because she's the one who's advocating for the fact that, you know, one of the alters has diabetes. The others don't. Mm. So that's a huge change in your physiology. I, I said that's a... Okay, yep, it's fine. We'll, we'll just play along with that one. Because he's got diabetes medicine. Mm. But his body isn't going to change that much. That No? You're looking at me like... So, again, this is not my area of expertise, but I've been doing some reading and, yeah. So, the... So, you can give yourself diabetes or you can take it away. It's... Mm, um, so, I don't know about that one in particular, but you can change your physiology quite significantly. It's the same as... Um, so, I keep going back to this, but I do work in a, in a pain team... It's the mix of both your physical body and also your mind creates this environment that we live in in our body. And so much of that is then controlled by your central nervous system, which spreads throughout the whole thing and is led by and organised by your brain. So, for example, with people with IDD, there have been cases of some alters being completely blind and others are not. I think therefore I am, type of thing. To an extent. So it's not a conscious, I think it, therefore that's what happens. And it's not a case of we're making it up, but certain things can get turned on and off. In the same way as when we're sad, our body physically leaks water from our eyes. (laughs) Okay, I do see what you mean by that. Yeah, and when we are newly in love... Do you deliberately increase your heart rate and your breathing? Do you deliberately flush your face? I think most people would turn that one off if they could. <laughs> These things are all, they're incredibly powerful. Our, our, our mind, our central nervous system can have such a huge significant impact on how that is physically manifested. Mm, that's annoying. It is annoying, yeah. But sort of coming back to the point, DID, yeah, you can have alters that have different physiology, mm. which is cool. <laughs> um, uh, as as um, the alter with diabetes would profess, though, and did say when he was on, on videotape, though, very annoying, very frustrating, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, no one else had to had to inject themselves with insulin, but he had to. And then also by the same extent, yeah, so you have certain knowledge that certain alters will have, others don't have access to. Might speak languages that the others don't. That would be nuts. Yeah? That'd be crazy. Yeah? Like, one person in one body knows how to speak English and the next knows how to speak only Italian. Yeah? You just that have access to different different things. That'd be super cool. Yeah. But it's interesting, I, th- I think... Um, how yeah so the therapist in it she embraces all of that stuff but by the end actually her think she became too arrogant i think that she thought she had a special relationship 
with her client and that she had to be the rescuer and she did that all on her own. She should have had a supervisor, at least a peer supervisor, that she could, because she sh- she was concerned already. She was having alters email her at all the hours of the night and then book additional sessions with her. She found the space for him, but she then didn't do anything about it. And I don't think that that was, I don't think that was fair on her or him. So it is still a film and you do yeah. need things to occur mm-hmm. and there to be a, a conflict of interest for there to be a story otherwise you're just following two people and it's really boring yeah I mean I'd have thought a story like that would be quite interesting but it is about the development of people and butting up against each other mm. and that is that's what creates the story so I do understand why it needs to be there it may be frustrating for you knowing what it you do it was so annoying <laughs> it was so annoying yeah yeah yeah, she should have had, there should have been a line of supervision. She should have, um, as soon as she was concerned about anything, she should have been bringing that to supervision. She should have also brought to supervision the fact that she cried in front of him because she cracked into another altar and realised, and it was an amazing, amazing shout. Yeah. Very not observant. Cool. Not cool. Don't do that. Yeah, and like different people might need different things, but her crying at that moment, and she was definite. I mean, from as a therapist watching her as another therapist, for me, she was crying because she was like, "Oh my god, mic drop moment!" I guessed rightly that he is pretending to be one alter when he's actually another one, and now I've I've gotten through, and now I'm speaking to someone I've not spoken to either before or in a really long time. I can't remember. Mm. But she's she's crying because she's done good psychology. Not because... Yeah. So that was also very annoying. There were several things that were annoying about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then instead of going round, because if, if you're at the point where you are that worried about a client that you think, oh, in the middle of the night, I need to go round to see him, she should have called the police. Yeah. She shouldn't have done... She shouldn't have gone down there. She's the last person that you'd need. Mm. In order to defend herself, she is not the person I'd have chosen. No. She sort of did a semi-smart thing in that she uh, she put the tissue in mm-hmm. the lock so yep. that it wouldn't completely lock. But then he, he basically just hugged her. Fr- she turned her back. He then walked up, hugged her from behind. She did. It was only at that point that she then tried to defend herself because she had grabbed the knife and then realised that, no, this isn't going to work. But... It was too late by that point. Yeah. The story needed this moment to happen where she wrote down Kevin Wendell Crumb, mm. say his name, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That is why it happened. But it's still so frustrating watching it. That, that was the last thing that she did. She didn't turn around and try to stab him again or didn't try and defend herself. No, no she just gave herself up and yeah. said, no, this needs to happen in order for him to survive. Uh, which we you know, having seen the second film or the third, even mm. the um, the culmination of it all, that um, yeah, it just ends up terribly. Yeah. And if she'd have killed him, then a lot of taxpayers' money could have been saved. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, that's ooh. Very cold capitalist yeah, no, way that, of looking that, at that, it. That, I know you. That was. I know you're teasing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, but anyway, rant about her. I could go on. I could go on for a really long time. But um, I did think it was a pretty 
good representation of DID. I think it's a shame that yet again it was a film where the main character has a a, a mental health diagnosis that comes with an element of psychosis and he is dangerous. It's a really boring, laboured um, story from that perspective as a therapist, but it is a really interesting story. Um, and actually, yeah, it's a pretty fair representation. So DID tends to come about as a coping mechanism when you experience physical and or sexual abuse before the age of five. Yep, that's that's the case here. We know about physical abuse. We don't know if he was sexually abused. It's possible. It's probable. Mm. Just taking you back slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be, you know, like you were saying, there's a lot of lots of talk about this being a another film where the character has a, a diagnosis of schizophrenia or this that and the other. Um, but we go in in stages in society. You go about fifty years, and there's all this talk about the Reds and mm. you know communism or like against against Russia and things. So that was the big thing of the time. Mm-hmm. It's gone more towards schizophrenia and issues like that. But what do you reckon? I mean, I think we're going towards the we're scared of robots type thing. We started with like iRobot and has has progressed over time. Terminator. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. It was done really brilliantly in Ex Machina mm. as well. Um, but what do you reckon the, the future... Do you reckon, it, do you reckon we've done the psychological thrillers? Um, it will move more towards something else? Or if there was another type of psychological thriller mm-hmm. and psychological problem at issue that was going to be dealt with, what do you reckon it would be? Do you reckon it would be some form of stress? Or what do you reckon the next psychological... What's the thing that people be scared of yeah. next? <laughs> um, for me, the thing that's a lot more scary is when there's no... When there is nothing which is a barrier to them being able to show empathy. It's much scarier when they are someone who is completely emotionally, mentally stable, and yet they still do cruel things. That's terrifying. Mm. That's way scarier. It's like, well, this has been justified to me, and therefore, I'll just do this it. is what I do. So, psychopathy, possibly. So, that idea of someone who does not have the capability for empathy. Making notes down here. Next screenplay, right? Is a... There you go. There you go. Um, can you pay me a consultancy fee? That'd be great. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a cut. Oh, all right. I'll yeah. take that. I'll take that. We'll just have In to the make form sure of it's... I'll take it for dinner. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Ritz it is. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah I don't know I suppose guess psychopathy so I knew that was quite left field but it was no, just I like I it I like it I suppose for me I still think the next big thing is is climate change but there's already been a few films that's touched on mm. that or Revenge of the Animals loads of otters wow yeah armoured otters with <laughs> lots of rocks <laughs> weirdly weirdly terrifying it would be Oh, the the other thing that I wanted to touch on with this film, because I was thinking about how to formulate... How to formulate Kevin and all the alters, which got a bit complicated. It's lots of people within one body. I was thinking about how different Dennis, Patricia and Hedwig are in comparison to the other alters. It seems that there is quite a harmony between them, or at least that's... That's the idea we're sold, mm. is that he's been 
you know, Kevin as a whole has been going to therapy for quite a while, but he's holding down a job. Everyone really likes him at work. It's all going okay. But there's these alters who are kind of kept out of the light. Barry also. Barry, yeah. Barry's so we, a big one. Yeah. We do well. We sort of we hear about Barry more than we actually see Barry. We see his drawings and things. We so we see his drawings. But yeah. do you think that's more of a distraction? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that was Dennis that whole time. We didn't see Barry. We saw Dennis pretending to be Barry. Okay. Because the first thing we see is Dennis kidnapping the three girls. Mm-hmm. Barry was never around. I think Barry was able to send those emails. Okay, right. So I think it was that maybe when he was asleep, Barry was able to come up and send an email, but I think that's all the time he had. Okay. So I don't think we ever saw him. So the three that we saw were really Dennis, Patricia, Hedwig. Very different. Kept out of the light. For me, the dangerous thing about these three is... I think these three characters are actually very narcissistic. Again, narcissism. We talked about this in the Gone Girl episode. Mm. Often, again, a coping strategy when we are neglected or abused. We need to feel special. We need to feel different. And we need to be seen to be those things. And everything is about our needs, our wants. And I think that's actually what I was seeing in those characters. I mean, Hedwig is a child. That's sort of fair enough. Yeah, I was just thinking it's a bit, a bit harsh. I think, no, it's a bit harsh, yeah. But, you know, he's a child, so he should be pretty egocentric. Yeah. That's fair enough. But he's easily manipulated by the other two, who so much of what their their mission is, is to be seen as special Kevin, who they are a defender for, is special and different. And the only person who can defend him, really, is the beast. This idea of this 24th identity. Mm. And it's almost like they they worship this beast character. Yes. Yeah, they do. They're like a little cult within the whole within that is Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. But there's always this focus that their experience is different. They deserve to be treated differently. And like they are special. Like Kevin is special. He deserves Mm. to be seen that way. No one else's needs or life matters. That's why he stole these two, accidentally three young girls who were seen as having a blessed existence. He followed them for two days. You're telling me you know everything about someone and can label them as having a blessed existence from watching them for two days. How dare he? How dare they? How dare they think that? And I think it's really interesting right at the end where the only reason that Casey was saved was because physically saw the the cutting scars on her. Yeah. Until that point, also assumed she was blessed, that she was impure because she didn't know pain, suffering. Again, mm-hmm. no one else's life has depth, has richness. It's just other and therefore doesn't matter. It's not as special. It's this idea that because they've suffered, that they are special. And it's again, it's a coping mechanism. It's a way of making something so awful and tragic into something which actually puts them on a pedestal. It's something that 
gives them that sense of specialness that they were denied because they were treated like they were nothing. Yeah, he's going to ask you if you agreed with the the phrase used that the broken are the most evolved. The broken are the most evolved. I do, because I think that that's what evolution is all about. You don't get those leaps forward in evolution until something is changed, something is tested. Mm -hmm. Because that's when you have this idea of these new adaptations then become the thing that thrives. I also, from people that I've worked with, to an extent, I feel like having a little bit of pain and suffering, a little bit, not to these atrocious levels that trauma comes from, but a little bit of hardship earlier on in your life, actually that does make you more resilient because you realise from an earlier age things can go wrong and I can survive that. I am capable and that there's hopefully other people who can support you in that. You know, I've, I learn more about safety because there's been things that have tested that safety. So yes, I do believe in it, but I also think that everyone has hardship. But, I, but when it comes later on in your life, often, yeah, it's so much more difficult to manage because yeah, maybe... you do often see that, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. When you've had someone who, I don't know, they've gotten to 50, 60 and then suddenly the person that they they married um when they were 18 leaves them um and maybe if if they've also they've had the same job for all of that time and they have had all that security and nothing too terrible has happened when suddenly your whole world comes crashing down at that point devastating and um you've not learned any of those things to help you cope maybe and then you're having to do it all at an older age Hmm. Um, that can be really difficult. So you're saying kids growing up make their life miserable <laughs> and that will make them a better person. <laughs> this is not me saying that's how you should bring up children, no. <laughs> <laughs> but but don't, don't wrap people in cotton wool either. No, no, you can't. I because it's actually that... to have those experiences. I would argue that protecting too much... That's a form of neglect because you're not you're not fostering that ability for them to learn. It's like when I mean, how many how many people go off to university and they don't know how to cook? And I'm not saying like you don't know how to cook a three course meal. They don't know how to put beans in a pan and warm it up to make beans on toast. So I, I, I went to I went to uni with a, a lad that used to call um, super noodles in bread gourmet. Hmm, that's worrying. <laughs> Yes, it was, Mark. Yes, it was. <laughs> you you need to allow people to learn and therefore flourish. So to an extent, yeah, I do agree with that mentality. But I also, uh, it's almost like he's been the one to choose what counts as suffering, what counts as broken. And apparently it's just him. Apparently it's just him. And no, no, I will not have that. And I was so angry about that yeah but i can see how that's very much a coping mechanism when from such an early age this poor child kevin was taught by his mother that he wasn't worth taking care of and that's awful and as an amazing creative way of surviving that 
his brain took him away from that situation so that his whole body didn't have to store all of that abuse all in one thing. It was able to break it apart. And also it created these other altars who would help keep him safe. Genius. Mm. It's incredible. And when you haven't been taught that's what you need to do, it's, it's almost funny that people will naturally fall into these conditions mm. of like yes well obviously if this path is blocked and this path is blocked and this one is blocked then I'll go down this one yeah it's funny that we all think the same way when we haven't been taught that mm. Mm. it's not even think you don't think about doing it yeah, your body sure. just does it yeah because it doesn't have time to think about it. If I, had time, if I had time to think about it, it might problem solve differently, but it doesn't. Yeah. Also, when you, were, when you were a child of that age? Yeah. Yeah, no way. Um, but also, it actually, I think calling it a condition is also wrong. It's just a survival mechanism. It's a behavior. Because mm. that's not actually, at that point, it's not maladaptive. No. It's actually very adaptive. It's only later on when suddenly it's causing more problems than it's fixing. Suddenly it's a condition because now it's something that maybe there's a more helpful route that we need to go down. But we're going to have to do quite a lot of re- mental rewiring <laughs> yeah. in order to do that and doing that on your own. Oh, nah, man. Yeah. So you, you go and see a therapist. You have someone help guide you in how to do yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Of course. And probably also a psychiatrist. <laughs> Yeah. So, several people, as long as they're wearing white coats, it doesn't matter. <laughs> or chunky jewellery, if you're a psychologist. <laughs> One of them. <laughs> it's part of our uniform. <laughs> so, what would you change about this film? I think you already know the answer to that. I mean, yes. So, you'd make sure that she didn't grab the banana, she grabbed the knife. Yep. Yeah, yeah, fair. And by grab the knife, she would have had a very clear and supportive supervision structure and um, then called the police or some sort of crisis line instead of going round at midnight. Then we'd have no film, though. <laughs> yeah, no I, would, film. I would ruin the film split. That's, that's what I would change, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, darling? What would you change? I'd like to see a couple more of the characters. I know that's it's a, big, it's a big ass, James. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're on first name terms now. First name terms. But <laughs> if you're listening to this... Yeah, I'd I'd have liked to have seen a couple more characters because it was so cool to see, to see those changes, um, and to see the way that he really embodied it, each and every one so differently. That it would be just really cool to see him do some more. Mm. I think it was amazing enough, like because um, she watched all the video diaries mm. of the multiple yeah. different alters. Yeah. I wondered if they kept that scene just to demonstrate how much work James McAvoy had done. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I do wonder. I wonder if it was almost part of his contract. He he just threw a little bit of a hissy fit because they needed to cut some space out. And he was like, not that one. Not that scene. Anything else. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, like, so you, you do see parts of each of the characters, but I'd have liked to have seen a bit, a bit more of it. Because you can get an idea of the characters, but to really mm. show it off. Mm. I just wanted... Just wanted to see him show off, basically. Cool. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I would also like to watch him show off his skills. Very cool. That really sounded like I was flirting with James McAvoy, didn't it? <laughs> it did a bit. Sorry. <laughs> I I, re- I love you, Dave. I love you. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, love you, James. <laughs> <laughs> 
And on that point, we should probably end the series. <laughs> we we probably should. Oh my gosh. Um, thank you for sticking with us. If you have, um, I assume you have. I'm assuming that no one's going to skip straight to episode eight. They might. I you can do if that if that is the case. Hi. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. Hi, we're Devan. We are Devan. Yeah. Yeah. God, Div- I just just did that, didn't I? Yeah. I met Dave and Caban. Yeah. And it just sort of came out as. Oh no. <laughs> we've we've got a, a team name now. <laughs> Maybe we should change the email. <laughs> did uh, did you want to plug our our other things that you can follow us on? Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. If you'd like, we're we're available on. Spotify, on Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Um, and if you want to stay involved, if you have any thoughts, any disagreements, any anything that we've missed, uh, do let us know. If, any if you, cool ant facts. Yeah, any cool ant facts, if you can put that on Instagram. Uh, any <laughs> cool, uh, well, any, anything that we've missed, please email us quietly um, so nobody else <laughs> can read it. <laughs> if it's praise, definitely on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, praise it up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's 3D's Character Assassination. And on Instagram, we are 3D's Character Assassination, all one word. And the email is characterassassins at yahoo.com. So yeah. And if you stuck with us the whole way through, cheers very much, folks. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's also just around the world and listening. That's That's really amazing. Yeah, super cool, super cool. Yeah, and please... Tell your friends, spread the word. We would really love to carry on growing this. We're going to look into uh, what we can do with ne- with the next series, see if we can get some guest people on and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, we'll we'll be um, keeping people notified, probably on Instagram in particular. We might do a little teasy trailer as well. So follow us, follow the podcast, and you will get access to that as soon as. As soon as we have it. But yeah, we're thinking some guest stars, some expert psychologists in different areas, a few of a few experts in the world of film and writing and theatre. Mm. So if you've got any ideas, if you've got any, you know, cool people who we could interview as well. Yeah, or if you are one of the cool people, get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Take Come care. On. Thanks very much, guys. Bye. <laughs>